This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And today we're going to be talking about a very timely uh, set of topics, but it's really been present for decades probably even centuries. And uh, in the last, I'd say, 30 years has struck a very powerful chord in the American public, and that's teenage pregnancy and teenage uh, abortion. Uh, Though we'll be discussing abortion as it applies to all women, really. This comes at the time of uh, uh, recent uh, ideas about Roe versus Wade and uh, Title X and changes that could be made in those important uh, legislation. So uh, we ask you to uh, stay with us and we're gonna give a historical perspective about this interesting subject. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this because it's actually something that comes up quite often in my practice. And as a new practitioner, I wasn't really expected for it to come up as quite as often, talking about pregnancy mm-hmm. that is, because I work with a lot of teens and I guess I had this idea that it was something that you talked about a little later down the line. And I'm realizing as I am building my practice that it really does come up quite often, whether it be about birth control, whether it be about relationships and even abortion. You know, I've dealt with a couple teens who have gone through them and I, I think it can be powerful to share what that experience has been like. Jen, why didn't you think it would come up often? And maybe because I've practiced for so many decades, I really see that with young women and young men, pregnancy is such a big question. But I'm wondering, I, I think a lot of people don't expect it to come up. And I'm wondering why you didn't think it would. I think it's it's just interesting because even though I was in grad school, they didn't really talk about it very much. Mm. And so it was one of those subjects that was more relegated to, you know, each physician figuring out how to deal with it on their own, rather than it being, you know, you talk about families, you talk about relationship dynamics, you talk about your own history, but there was not really a focus outside of maybe rape and abuse that talked about pregnancy. And so it just never really crossed my mind as something that a lot of teens would be talking about. It's interesting you say that because you uh, spark uh, my thoughts about medical school. And I went to medical school in the 70s, right about the time of Roe versus Wade. And um, they did not prepare us much in medical school to deal with these issues. I can remember assisting in abortions and being asked maybe five minutes before I would be do the assist, you know, really what I, what were my religious ideas about it? Oh so goodness. it's quickly put in there. And then yeah. I remember also at, uh, working at Catholic hospitals that there were questions there about my ideas but very, very little education about dealing with this very important subject. Well, I think, you know, even just reflecting on what you're talking about now, I think about in terms of talking about sex and sexuality, it was also sort of relegated to to its own box. You know, it, we didn't really talk about the way we do on this podcast, how sex and sexuality really kind of permeates so much of our lives. And it was really seen as like, well, you take this class on sexuality and you learn about these different terms and you learn about body parts again. And, you know, you learn about helping to talk to kids about safe sex. But that was really it. And it was like in that context, that is when you're going to do that. It it wasn't really looked at as a whole. As part of life, which is really what sex is. 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 Exactly. It's a very important part of life. Maybe for me, uh, a big interest in this area started in my own teen years. I was raised Catholic, as I've talked about on other podcasts, and I was a teenager during the 60s. And in my own high school class, a number of girls got pregnant, and uh, all the girls were concerned about pregnancy. And I've shared with you 
that I had an obsessional word that I repeated over and over again as a teen and a young person in my 20s, and it was pregnancy. And I know now from years of therapy and other things that it was related to my fears about this occurring and uh, really affecting my opportunity to become a doctor and be as involved in life as I am. But I saw a lot of my friends have to leave the school and uh, go either to a Catholic or other home for girls where they gave up the baby for adoption or they left and had an abortion in an illegal format because this was before that was really uh, available. I now know that many girls <laughs> left and obtained uh, abortions through psychiatric means. They had a psychiatric eval and were determined that the ba- having a baby would affect their mental health. So that was part of that whole period during the 60s. That's but, so interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, it was a very uh, challenging time. And uh, just recently, we had uh, a high school reunion of many years and uh, several of those girls had recontacted babies that had been given up for adoption. And we talked about really the sexual frame of the 60s and how little opportunity we really had in this area. And all the girls were very, very frightened of getting pregnant in high school. It wasn't until 1969 and 1970, and I was a a student at the University of Wisconsin, that we really had the opportunity to go in for birth control, and they had to make it available to young women. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful to think about. I mean, I, I, I think in some ways, obviously, there are huge changes with the the introduction of birth control. I do think at the same time, though, that a lot of those fears are still very present. I see it even with my teens who are maybe like 13. They're, they're not even engaged in generally what people consider sexual activity. And yet they're thinking about it. You know, they miss a period and they're like, oh my God, am I pregnant? I've gotten a lot of these texts from them. And it's it's really interesting because in a way it's kind of comical to think like you've never even engaged with anybody. How could you possibly be pregnant? But then it's not funny because you realize they, they really don't know. And so it's been really powerful to be able to open up these conversations and, and talk with them about, you know, how do people actually get pregnant? And you bring up myths that all of us carry about yeah. pregnancy. And I remember back to being a teenager and many teens are convinced that even just having very brief contact with no intercourse that pregnancy will occur and there are kind of urban legends and rural legends circulating around this area that this can happen so i think to really realize everybody has this idea that pregnancy could occur without really the act that is required for it to, to develop And I think everybody understands on some level how much pregnancy changes a person's life. People disagree on how do we deal with this situation, teen pregnancy, that is. Yes, and I I think that's one of the issues that makes Roe versus Wade so important, the legislation. Because um, you mentioned everyone understands, I think they do on one level, right? that uh, why do teen girls not want to be pregnant, what would be part of that? And I think back to myself, you know, wanting to have a career, to go to college, how much that meant to me and to my family, and uh, just how important that is. And I, I think that there are those that are not teen girls who really see it somewhat differently. Mm-hmm. They really view it as if a teen girl becomes pregnant, it's either her punishment to carry the baby through or... This is something she chose, not realizing that so many young teens become pregnant involuntarily. It's a very high rate under 15, uh, teens really being either raped or in involuntary sexual acts. So uh, just being aware of that, and I think knowing that these are very young people, they're still children, really. And in terms of their minds, you know, they're at a child level of development for 13, 14, 15. Right. And I think just to go back a little bit, maybe for our listener, 
Can you talk in more layman's terms about Roe versus Wade? I think people have heard that, but they don't necessarily know what that is. Uh, yes, uh, I'll do my best with that. And, uh, you know, uh, academics, we're not always best in, on, the, uh, on the road, so to speak. But uh, Roe versus Wade was a Supreme Court decision. And the individual who came forward, it was a woman, and uh, she recently died, I think, just yeah. a week ago. And uh, she allowed her, her case, really put forward her case, which was about uh, getting an abortion. And uh, the determination of the Supreme Court was that abortion decisions are protected by individual rights of privacy. And uh, I think it speaks to uh, rights in our country and the rights of privacy are strongly protected. So it was a very, uh, I think, innovative decision at that time. I think it was not expected necessarily from the Supreme Court at that time, though the 70s were a time when women's rights were advanced in different ways. But that was perhaps the most important part of it. The, uh, there are caveats to Roe versus Wade, and in the third trimester of pregnancy, the state may make individual rulings to protect either the health rights of the fetus or the mother. So that's important to know that. Then in 1976, just a few years later, Title X, the Family Planning Act, came into effect. And that was modified to include monies and support for abortion as part of family planning. So when we think about what might be changed or what's under attack today, it could be either Roe versus Wade or it could be the money aspect of it through Title X. And why did Roe versus Wade come into uh, effect? What prompted the Supreme Court? In 1965, 20% of all deaths related to pregnancy and childbirth were due to illegal abortions. And I, I do think about that because there was a girl in my class who died in an illegal abortion in Mexico. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to think about it now, but if you were in a large high school, at, in the, during the 60s, this was a prevalent concept. And this happened, it was a reality for people. And then in 1970, again, nine, almost 100% of the legal health abortions were being done for mental health reasons, showing again just the needs for that to be uh, available to young people at that age. And I think not recognizing just the large group of people that, especially in during a time without birth control, needed abortions. It was a really uh, amazing time. Yeah, I mean, I'm. it's so amazing to even think about it. I mean, it's not that long ago. And yet it was before, when I was a teen, it, it was already possible to get an abortion. And I think that's pretty amazing and, and shows a lot of progress. I think there's a lot of fear about all of that being rolled back. And what's so interesting for me is to hear the argument against it. You know, I think there's this strange lack of acknowledgement about the fact that like abortions are going to happen no matter what and so it's really important to focus on safe abortions and that if you really want there to be less abortions you need better sexual education and one of the things i've learned from in my lifetime is contraception has become more available for teenagers and our rates of teen pregnancy just in the last 20 years have dropped very significantly by a third. And that's just amazing. I mean, it's more in some studies, but uh, that means the rates of abortion are dropping too because other forms of contraception are really being made available and used. So I think it underscores how important some of these changes are that provide contraception for young people. Yeah, and I think on top of that, something that was very interesting to me that you brought up, or we've talked about before, is I know there's this fear that people have brought up that abortions will be used as a form of birth control. And I know it's important to acknowledge that at a time, that was sort of something that was happening. But I really feel there's a shift away from that. Is that maybe you can Abs speak more to that? Absolutely, Jennifer. I mean, there was so little knowledge about birth control and even the early pills uh, that were developed and administered in the uh, late 60s, early 70s really weren't working appropriately. Um, and I think all of this shadows 
those girls coming to you that think I could be pregnant because there's not even on the pill people our patients come in and they're concerned they're pregnant while using the pill. Right. There's not the security around this issue that there is around so many other issues. That's true. And also, I think there are a lot of people who are not aware that the pill doesn't work unless you take it very <laughs> consistently and, you know, at the same time every day. And that shifting away from that, it's not that it's ineffective, but it decreases the effectiveness by a pretty significant amount. Absolutely. So there's some reason to be concerned and some reason to read about your pill, learn about it, and really educate yourself about it. I think along the lines of education, too, another fear that I hear come up a lot with parents that I work with is they're afraid that if they talk about these things, if they bring up birth control, if they bring up having sex or, you know, talking about abortions, that it it plants the idea in a teen's brain and it will make them, you know, more likely to have sex. And I, I think it's really important for us to speak to that as physicians that that's not the case. Yeah, no, one of the things that's really noteworthy is that conversations that parents can have with their kids about sex result in decreased unplanned sexual activity. So if you want to help your child make healthy decisions, in the sexual arena, it's important to try to have these conversations. And I think back, you know, I've talked about it in an earlier podcast. My father actually talked to me uh, within a month of the time that the bill became available. And, you know, he said, you know, you're 18 years old. This is a, a, a really important time. You could become sexually active. You have access to these methods. Are you going to be using them? And that conversation was I would say, change my life course. And I think you talked about that it came out of the blue for you in terms of it wasn't something you were anticipating. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't think any girl in the late 60s would be thinking her father would be discussing birth control with her. But it's a, a very important subject. And I must say, um, in retrospect, I'm eternally grateful for that conversation. So if that helps moms and dads out there. You know, have that conversation. Your teen might be surprised. They might be stunned. I think I said, just I gulped and said, <laughs> yes, 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 or something. I don't know. But I think it's important to really try the conversations, and your teenager will really appreciate it. I think so, too. I, I think another thing that, you know, given our profession that we can highlight is we we can really talk from an insider's perspective about why is it that teens do get pregnant. And you mentioned some of it earlier where a good number. I think the number is something around like 80% of these pregnancies are unplanned. That's what I think a, a lot of people don't understand. They have the idea of they're going to punish the teen for the teen purposefully doing this, and it's their punishment. But realizing that during the teen years, pregnancy is not usually a planned subject. There's a small group of young women often in uh, rural and poverty-stricken areas who have children in a planned fashion, you know, uh, more, I think, in accordance with it provides a role for them, and it's something that they want. I think there's also a number of young women who have pregnancies because of loss and wanting attachment and um, somebody to be there for them. So there's a group like that. But the bulk of teen pregnancies are really not planned. And I think that's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think it's super important to keep that in mind because then you realize that what that teen really needs is support instead of kind of the shame and the shunning. That is what people tend to do with teens. And it sort of isolates them from being able to reach out and, and get the help that they need. Right. And attitudes where it's not recognized that teens need conversations to think about this period. I think many girls have fear, but they don't really know how to put it into practice. And just having a mother say, you know, I'll go to Planned Parenthood, I'll sit outside in the car, you go in, you have the visit, that's so important. You know, all of that is really, really important. Girlfriends, guy friends going along is really, really important. I think, too, it's important to bring up, probably a little controversial to say, but I think it's important to bring up one of the things I see is that 
among the small number of girls who are trying to get pregnant, I see that a lot of them have, uh, what is the right word? Challenging relationships with their mothers. That's a pattern that I've noticed. Is that something you've seen in your practice? Yes, and um, you know, again, here drawing a little on my own experience, I think it would have been a benefit to me to have a conversation with my own mother about pregnancy and contraception. The fact that she was a strict Catholic and really didn't believe in that prevented that type of exchange. And I think that too changed my life, Jennifer, because I vowed to be a different type of mother and to be able to talk about these things, even though it was not so easy for me when I was a teen. But um, I see many um, mothers who are uh, very identified with their daughters and very controlling around the daughter's sexual life. So they're not able to provide that kind of, you know, compassionate conversation that often a teenage girl needs in this area. Yeah, I definitely see that. On top of that, I think I also see a lot of the teens that I work with, their mothers got pregnant young and they don't want their daughter to have the same experience. But it creates sort of a block because they haven't worked through their own experience. And so they're not able to, they want to control their teen's life to keep them from having the same experience. But by instigating that level of control, it actually ends up creating more conflict in their relationship and could rebound the other way yeah you know the child the the teen doesn't share the sexual activity that's going on i'm thinking of one girl maybe we'll call her maria uh but uh she had struggles she was uh 14 when she got pregnant and uh, it was partly because she was sharing a lot of emotional and physical things with her boyfriend yeah so he was available as that caring person and the mother was at some distance. So I think that's a, a model that we see out there often in therapy. Frequently, actually. Um, that the boyfriend is a kind of maternal figure. Yeah. So I think for mothers uh, who want to have these conversations to realize you have to step back a bit. You're in the role of the friend. You're a good listener. This is not the time to control you know, and the daughter is struggling really for control of her own body. And I think it's harder for young women sexually because some of sex is giving up control as a young woman. And uh, it's a difficult step. So they don't want the mother controlling them too. And you've got all of these different things fitting together. So uh, it's a tricky time, I think, for mother-daughter relationships. It definitely is. And I think it's important to recognize that your own experience with pregnancy or lack of pregnancy or miscarriages even, that's a big one that comes up. Sorry, that was kind of out of the blue. It just popped no, into my head. No, no. It's, you know. uh, I think it's right on track because yeah. a lot of moms can't talk about their own sexual experience. And you don't necessarily want to share negative aspects such as I had to have four abortions or three abortions because I wasn't together with this. But you might really share that you struggle with these same feelings and you might talk about some of the sequences of your pregnancy. I think that information, especially the feeling part of it, is very valuable for kids to hear. I think the feeling part is huge. And I think being able to admit that you aren't perfect is so important and so hard to do. <laughs> you know, our society really pushes this idea of you need to be a perfect mom and you have to have it all together. And, and that really interferes with having conversations because a lot of times when you're having conversations, you're not just going like, oh, I did everything right. You're talking about, I made this decision and here's where it led me and I don't know that I would go back and make that same decision. You know, and I want you to consider your decisions. Yeah, you're going to be a great mother someday, Jennifer. You're, you're ready for all of this. I, I think you're right because my own experience as a mom of two teenage girls was that I, I wanted to share and I thought it might even be valuable, but I also worried that the information of it from my own life would color theirs in a negative way. So it's really then how do you share part of it? How do you open up around some of it? How much to share of this information? And I think there you follow your teen daughter. How does she want to hear more? Is she asking questions? 
If you open the conversation early, she'll ask more questions. If you're talking to her at eight or nine about things, she's going to be ready to ask these questions and ask you. So I think it's really how you approach it. I think it's also such a topic that is laced with so much fear, you know, that, for example, you know, I I feel so honored because my 13-year-old clients will reach out to me and be like, oh my God, I think I'm pregnant, you know, and I'll say like, why, what's going on, you know, tell me what makes you think this, and and they'll talk to me about it, and I've built this relationship, and they often say, you know, I can't tell my mom, and that always makes me feel really sad because, for one, I don't want to be the surrogate parent, but two is really that support, that mother-daughter relationship, even, you know, daughter-father relationships. They're so important and they can be so strong and healthy. And so I think I'm always trying to think about, like, what can I do to help the mother deal with her fears so that she can be able to have this conversation with her daughter right, or um, father? That's a good way to look at it because mothers are afraid of that. They're afraid of really telling too much and then altering a path. But I think all of the research of the last 30 years indicates it's important to disclose some and have conversations to kind of go forward and trust that you'll find the way through it. You know, when you were talking about our our patients' interest in pregnancy, Mm -hmm. um, young girls, teen girls are very interested in pregnancy. I did a study during one of my pregnancies of teen response to my pregnancy. And they, more than any other patient group, were very invested in the pregnancy. Mm. I think it's because teen girls are thinking about pregnancy, not necessarily becoming pregnant, but but their bodies are moving in that direction. And they are aware of it because these teen girls ask me countless questions about details about the pregnancy, physical aspects, my dreams, Uh, They gave me baby presents, and I've looked at other uh, studies that other pregnant therapists have done, and they've reported that teen girls react very differently than the rest of their patient population. That's so fascinating. Yeah, so I think teen girls, the body changes the monthly cycle, makes you really aware of pregnancy, and you want to talk with people about it. Yeah, Yeah. that's so fascinating. I, I had no idea about that. (laughs) something to look forward to when you get pregnant. And I think the attitude often in our business is you hide the pregnancy from patients. Well, that's what I was thinking is I I think of so many therapists who, you know, they're barely pregnant and already they're cutting back on clients and they're not. And I'm wondering, like, I mean, some people have, you know, constant morning sickness and all that. I can understand not (laughs) wanting to work through that, but... You know, there are some people who seem to be just fine and yet they feel, oh, I have to pull back. I can't, I can't, you know, show my clients that I'm pregnant. And it's just such an interesting idea. Well, it's really taking sex out of the equation. Right. Even in our field. Right. That we haven't had a sexual life. And how do we get pregnant? And we're not going to talk about that. But I do think from my own experience and from talking with other women therapists that talking with patients some about it it's similar to moms and daughters talking. Yeah. We've got to have those conversations. We need to really push forward. We need to talk about positive aspects of it and negative aspects of it, too. Well, what I find so striking, too, about that is I think back to when you were talking about the blank slate and that, you know, therapists, obviously, we want to be somewhat of a blank slate, but we really aren't. We're humans. We have lives, too, and we don't want to insert ourselves into somebody else's. But us being who we are is a part of that process. And maybe for our listeners out there, the blank slate refers to the idea that the therapist would be... Uh, an individual not would di- not disclose a lot about their personal life, right. and uh, therefore the patient's life would take on a much larger role. And certainly that's what we want. We want our patients' lives to be most important in their therapy, not the therapist. Right. But on the other hand, if you've got a pregnant therapist sitting there, you know, and changed in physical experience appearance. You really have to bring that into the conversation. Well, I think it's kind of awkward to not address it. Yeah, and it comes up in patients' dreams. You know, they're looking at it, and they can figure a therapist is pregnant 
by the third or fourth month because they've felt the change many times, even before the therapist discloses. So I think look at those early studies. They're really interesting about that. Yeah. But maybe to go back to our topic today, we veer off of abortion because I think it's a hard one to stay on. It really is. It's a struggle for our culture and it's a struggle for the girls really going through it. I'm actually kind of chuckling because I just looked at our outline and I was like, oh, how do we transition to abortion? You know, it's such a different topic, but I think you did it great there. And, and you're right. It is it is hard to think about. I think it's important to think about, but it can be very hard to talk about. Yeah. I think to talk some about the girls we work with who've gone through them, that's such important work. I, I worked uh, as a psychiatric advisor to an abortion clinic years ago. And just helping uh, young people make good decisions, healthy decisions in this area. And then seeing that nobody makes this decision lightly. And I think that's so important for lawmakers to be aware of, that this is a struggle for women throughout their lives. And they care deeply, I think, about this path and their decisions. And I'm assuming that there are a few that don't out there, few women, few girls. But the bulk of them, and I've seen hundreds of women who've gone through abortions, really uh, care so deeply. They think about all of the aspects of it. And a lot of them carry negative, you know, psychological uh, feelings really with this. Guilt is perhaps most prominent and occurs throughout lifetimes in about 20% of all uh, young women and older women who go through abortions. I think what's been really powerful for me in working with people is seeing how much of an attachment is there already. You know, I have, I wouldn't say a huge number, but I have a good number of teen girls who have gone through abortions. And what what was very striking is a lot of these fetuses have names. They're thought about as part of the family. They're thought about as, I want to have a child, but it won't be you. But, you know... that their name, I don't know, it was just so, at least the first time that I heard that was very striking to me, just that, because I think so many people in society, there's this idea of sort of people are taking abortion so lightly, they're just getting rid of this child and like, it's no big deal, but it's really not. There's a strong emotional component. And I work with older women who talk about having had an abortion when they were younger and they talk about wondering about whether it was still the right decision, whether, you know, they imagine that child at different events, or, you know, what would it be like if I had kept that child? And and it's very interesting. It, It doesn't, it's not just this one and done thing. It really is very thought out and affects their lives. You know, I agree completely with that because it's it's awesome, really, to listen to women talk about these experiences and uh, um, their connections and women's abilities to connect with fetuses growing really inside of them. Um, I've worked with surrogate moms who've carried babies for other people and just their connection with carrying that baby, even though it may not have been their biological child, is very important, providing a home. you know, for that fetus is really important. And what you say, I think about women who are able to transition and really think about, this is not the time for me to have a baby at 16 or 17. I'm not ready. I couldn't be the kind of mother that I want to be. And, uh, but to really acknowledge that, that they couldn't raise the child in that way is very important. There's a wonderful book written by Oriana Falacci, a journalist uh, called Letters to an Unborn Baby. And uh, I think uh, from the literary standpoint, just writing to thinking about our ideas about children that are unborn is really important. She had uh, what's called, sadly enough, fetal demise. And uh, uh, there's a large number of abortions that occur spontaneously. You know, in terms of pregnancy, it it could be as high. When I was in medical school, they always said it was about a third of all pregnancies. Uh, But I think it's lower now, fetal demise. But um, just carrying a a child for a period of time, a fetus, and then really realizing that it's not going to go to term is very, very important. Those are huge, huge psychological uh, factors in a woman's life. And hugely emotional. 
I mean, there's so much emotion around the experience of thinking you're going to have a child, getting excited about it, and then losing it, and other people not sort of understanding the level of grief that you have. And this brings us back to abortion, and I think it's a very, very necessary decision for many young people to not decide not to be mothers, but these women do carry grief. Some of the studies done by Nancy Adler at the University of California in San Francisco, our institution, but some of her studies indicate that down the road, though, there's recovery from this, awareness of this, and that the group of young women who make the decision to have abortions consciously and in a planned fashion really are better, do better psychologically, even carrying the grief and the guilt and some of the other emotional feelings. Well, I think allowing somebody to process this experience is so crucial because then it becomes woven into their life story instead of something they feel they have to hide or push down or shove away. What came to mind actually is I remember when I was doing my traineeship and we were talking about doing the family tree and how you, you draw out, you know, mm. the, I can't remember if it's circle for guy and square for girl or the other way around, but you do the family lineage. And I remember my instructor bringing up, it's, it's a hard question to ask, but it's important to ask about any children who weren't born. And often people want to add them to the tree because they are a part of the family. They are a part of the family experience, even if they weren't born. And I thought that was just so powerful in terms of really understanding how much of a decision it is. Well, also with our, our patients, um, so many of uh, our patients really have come after, you know, siblings that were you know, miscarried, and um, right. just the impact of this is, is huge. So How it affects parenting. Yes, and how it affects young people, you know, throughout their lives uh, when they have this experience with a sibling or, or they're the replacement child that follows, and the parents treat them differently based on the experience. I think it's a, a wonderful time to really be aware of just the impact of this type of thing. And I think it was wonderful that you had to draw the family tree with those missing pieces. There's a wonderful book by Maxine Hong Kingston, really about the aunt who had no name, and she was an aunt who had a baby, and then, you know, actually killed herself. And uh, that she was then written out of the family tree, Jennifer, and what that means, a baby and a mother gone. And um, it's just, uh, I think, important for us to realize that that's been the experience in the past, and it's been something we're trying to change and work toward a different life, but it's still there. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing. I mean, I, I feel myself slowing down, kind of being pulled <laughs> down by this, just yeah. thinking about it. But it is so important to have these conversations. And I think about, you know, even in my own family, like some of the different pregnancies and how they're treated and, and how, you know, people are looked upon differently when, when you get pregnant and, you know, that there's a lot of shame around it, I think. And, you know, if it's planned, it's such a joyous thing. Everybody's there, everybody's talking about it. And that when it's unplanned, it's almost like radio silence. Yeah. People don't know how to deal with it, but then that person ends up being very alone. That very isolated, and uh, those are some of the girls we see, and there are many girls we don't see like that. Yeah. And uh, their lives are gravely affected if they have children and do not want to have them or not able to have them. You know, just to say a little bit, uh, prenatal education is very limited. If uh, a child is not planned in that way, I have worked with girls who've given birth to babies in bathrooms yeah. and have not been able to acknowledge the pregnancy or get health care. And these are upper middle class, middle class families. Mm -hmm. So to not always think, well, it's somebody else out there, right. but it really is across the spectrum. So I think to be aware of that, just how it's important to have conversations to work on educating our girls to make the decisions that they can make. And I think loss permeates this topic of abortion. Mm -hmm. I think it really is there. There's no way to not talk about it as loss. Yeah. But at the same time, 
I see a whole group of women who lose their childhood if they become mothers really too early. And they stand in opposition to that. You know, the girls in my high school who had those illegal abortions, you know, uh, those girls who lost their lives, their opportunities to be therapists in the way that we are. Yeah. That's a huge loss too. So it's really looking at which loss here do we have to regard and how does it all fit together? And girls are a big part of our world and not having opportunities for education, for development, for health for them is really important. It's so important. And you know, the, the statistics show that people who have more knowledge about sexual matters, they tend to delay, they tend to make better, healthier maybe is a better choice of words. They make healthier decisions about their sex lives and about getting pregnant. Yeah. And people ask, well, why these teens get pregnant? And I think, again, it's a complex model we're talking about and looking at, but conversations with others, such as you or me or an aunt or a teacher yeah. or a therapist, uh, you know, or a father mm -hmm. can really, really make a big difference. We've kind of left the, the baby's fathers out of this, and we need to talk a little bit, I think, about the role of, of men and boys in teen pregnancy. That's just <laughs> what I was going to bring up, too, because I, I think it's, it's so fascinating because when we talk about pregnancy, it's often seen as a women's thing, you know, it, in a way. In a way, it's not, because obviously, politically, we have all these men sort of shoving these policies on women. They're trying to control it, but it's still seen as like a women's area. You use the word shove. I mean, as women, we see it as shove. I think they always think about it, because I've, I've met many of these male legislators, and they think about it as guidance and control and support, yeah. not shove, but... You know, that's the perceptual difference that it feels when it's coming toward you and your body. It feels like shove. But from the other side, it's more of the, we're going to guide and control, you know, so to keep in mind I the perspective is, difference. <laughs> I think that is important. I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm just laughing because in a way that, that makes my anger meter go up so hot, you know, like control, I don't know if that word is used as often, but guidance is often a word used by people to control others. And it's this like happy euphemism for control. And so it just makes me like boil. But I agree that that's definitely the perspective that is presented. And I, I think often a group of legislators who, let's say, have a conservative perspective, and we're facing this with some of the Republicans that are out there, they're actively saying they want to repeal Roe versus Wade. Right. You know, what? what is going on in their mind and how do we understand them? And I think their view of the adolescent girl is one uh, that she can't make her decisions, that she would make bad decisions. And again, then the work of an individual like Nancy Adler and her team is so important that shows that teen girls make decisions as well as adult women about uh, abortions. So it's really about how do we regard the thinking power of adolescent girls in this area and what type of guidance do they need? I know? think, yeah, really addressing what, what does guidance actually look like and what does it mean? And what you're bringing up in terms of the conservative idea is actually what I find really fascinating is conservative women's perspectives on it. The idea that, you know, women, girls are supposed to have children, they're supposed to be in the home, they're supposed to be family oriented. <laughs> and I just, I find it so interesting because I don't understand why you can't be family oriented but also want a career. And that's often the crossroads that I get to. And I'm, I'm not one of those people to go like shout at, you know, different people. But I just find it so fascinating. There are some women who are so focused on, you know, you need to have this child because, you know, that's what is supposed to happen. It was meant to be and you, it's your responsibility. And yet a lot of those women don't support the programs that would help support a teen who does get pregnant. Well, our roles, the gender roles as they've existed, have been present a long time. So many of that group of women that you don't understand, and 
I I know because many of them went to school with me too. I think their view of it is that the roles need to stay the same. They've been fine for them. Why would they have to change at this point? And this is the way it works. But um, there are many ways to look at this. Uh, we see young women all over the world, you know, involuntarily becoming pregnant and young women forced into marriage in many parts of the world. And yeah. uh, I think I've already mentioned on this podcast that National Geographic is a heroine of mine because they just recently devoted an issue to gender. Many of the uh, articles were on how women were treated in terms of teen pregnancy throughout the world. It's such an important area to really look at and to look at these young, young girls, you know, in marriages with people maybe decades older and what this is really about. The girl doesn't get education if she's married at 13, 14, 15, 16. She does not get the type of education that she otherwise might be expected to. And it's a very different gender role situation. It is more traditional. It is what may be expected in different cultures. But for you, a young woman, you know, in America at this time, you've had an opportunity really for a different type of thing. And I think many of these women really are living, you know, who vote conservatively in this way or living in a different time. They're remembering back to the 50s and 60s, and they still live in that era in a way. And it's hard to believe that. It's hard to change that perspective. What would change it? Maybe having a granddaughter in a very different situation. You know, uh, that might change it. You know, really having experience with young people today and the struggles that they're having. Realizing how much our sexual world has changed and our gender roles. My mother was born uh, the year the women got the vote. <laughs> so I, she'd always say, well, I snuck in there right after, you know, women got the vote. And that's hard for me to believe that it's all happened during that period in America. It's a lot of change for women. Uh, but we've got to get back to those boys that we're not talking about, the dads out there. I will say that uh, I think the role of teen fathers is underrated. I think that they need to be involved in pregnancies. I think there needs to be more education in our high school about being a father. And that role really needs to be more emphasized. Around the question of abortion, what role does the teen father play? I think that's a more up for grabs question, really. Yeah, I don't know that I can, you know, provide yeah. the answer for that. But certainly I think it's important to consider. And what I find very interesting is with the girls that I have worked with who have gone through abortions, they include their partner. They yeah. ask them what they think. It's still their body. They're going to do what they want. But they recognize the importance that being a potential father brings and so i think again it goes back to having conversations and that you know even though the the girl is the one carrying the baby the potential father does have an experience where they think about themselves as a father and i think to highlight the contrast of the myth that you know teen fathers don't care and they just like are going to be absent and it's they're going to leave the baby a lot of times that's not the case a lot of times the dads if if the girl decides to carry a baby to term and keep the child a lot of times those dads go to work thinking that you know they'll drop out of school mm -hmm. and go to work thinking that that's what's going to support their family in the in the long run it ends up not really working out because of the jobs they end up having to take but I do think that they, they want to be around, they want to be a part of their family, and they do take responsibility. I think there's also a period where a lot of them freak out about, oh my god, this girl's pregnant, but they often come back and, and say, okay, what are we going to do about this? And the girls I work with really value their partner's contributions. So they, if a partner comes during an abortion, if he is present, yeah. if he sees how important it is for his partner, 
to get an education to really have a different life. That's key in all of this. And although education for pregnant girls has changed, there are schools, there are programs, they have to be in normal high schools, they're mainstream, you know, and all of that's good to really have, you know, pregnant girls around and not shipped off. Right. you know, to Not different hidden. places. Yeah, that's exactly right, as it was when I was growing up. But I do think talking in sex ed classes, really, about the role of teen fathers, how they can help in pregnancy decisions, all of this is fairly innovative, but this could be parts of teen education that needs to be out there. Because a lot of boys, and even men, have talked years later with me about how they went with one of their girlfriends to get an abortion mm -hmm. and what it was like for them and that they still think about it. So that gets to what you're saying, Jennifer, about the mind of men in this area. Well, I think it's important to think about, too, that, you know, when you do have a child, like, they do become a father. And mm -hmm. and so it's even though definitely I emphasize the importance of the the girl because she's carrying the baby, it's very important not to ignore the fact that it's a whole emotional experience for somebody who imagines themselves wanting to be a father. I think people are surprised by the fact that a lot of times the the boy wants to ha wants the girl to have the baby, but I think there's just there's so much there that the fathers are pushed aside and I think about, you know, some of the the boyfriends that I've worked with and they often talk about, you know, they feel they're not allowed in the doctor's room. They weren't allowed to be there when the baby was born and they just feel very shoved aside. Mm -hmm. And this gets back to how they have to be part of the decision making, you know, and they have a role in it. And the woman has, you know, as Roe versus Wade stated, you know, has, uh, you know, primal rights and privacy of her own body. But uh, the contribution for boys is huge in this area, it really is. They need to provide support. They need to ask questions. Um, and the parents of teen boys, you know, I think need to think about conversations with their sons about this. To bring this up, many good parents will say, well, I want you to think strongly before you get a girl pregnant. That's the way they always put it. And uh, that's not necessarily how it happens. It's really a decision you know, to have sex and then the consequences that fall out after that. But it's real important for parents to be talking with boys about this. I think it's very important for everyone to be acknowledging that boys are a part of this. Yeah, and I think that would make the girls less isolated and it would make the girls less shamed and it would make it more of a societal situation suddenly less than these teen girls really involved in this activity well this has turned into a pretty long podcast already but uh, I think what we'll do Jen is probably plan to come back to this topic because uh, I am sure that in the next year Roe versus Wade is going to be in the forefront and uh, we're going to spend more time with it really I think so. I mean, I think what's hard is, you know, when we're talking about these subjects, because there are so few people talking about sex, it's hard to know, you know, do you talk about things with more of a broad brush stroke so that you cover all these important things? Mm -hmm. But I think if we can sort of narrow in on some things, I think that's a great idea. And it never hurts to revisit. Yeah. Thanks. Come on. Let's